Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Sean McGill. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. You know, the mission of this church is that you would live a life that is fully alive. But I know that um, there are times in our life where we may should live a life fully alive, but we're living a life kind of fully, um, maybe just half alive. I don't know, can you be half alive? But you want to be fully alive, but there's that part of you that just feels dead. There's that part of you that just uh, feels far from it. Oh, you act like you're doing well. You go through the motions like you're doing well, but there's part of you that just has no life. And today I believe that this word is going to be like surgery for someone today. You know, the Bible refers to really our Lord as a great physician. Jesus is a great physician that sometimes he does come and he does cut. But he doesn't cut like people cut. When people cut, people hurt. But when he cuts, he cuts for a reason. He cuts as a physician to bring healing. See, if you and I were to go into surgery today and the physician were to do, you know, a few gestures and then pulls out a scalpel and say, I'm about to cut you, you could know that he's only cutting you to get to the problem. He's only cutting you so he can open up the area that he wants to begin to fix and heal and mend. And so today, if it feels like maybe there's some cutting going on, it's because I believe that God wants to do some surgery. And I think if you'll let God, and I'm I'm kind of psyching you up for this because I, I really believe that sometimes we need some time. So when the cutting starts, we don't get freaked out. But I think if you'll let him, he wants to do a heart change today. He wants some surgery to take place today, but it's gonna, it's gonna start with a surrender. It's gonna start with a surrender of saying, God, I'm here today and I don't feel fully alive. And so any part of me that's not alive, I surrender to you. And may you bring healing to that. And my prayer all morning is that the worship service would be like anesthetic. Before you go under, there's anesthetic giving to you and you want to take it, right? It's the thing that's going to help you not feel the pain that's about to come on. My prayer is the worship service has been like anesthetic, that the Holy Spirit has been softening you and preparing you for a work that I believe that he wants to do in your life today. And so let me pray for you, and then we'll get right to work with God's help. Father, in Jesus' name, would you make people fully alive today? Amen. I want to look at the book of Revelation today. I know. (laughs) John has been exiled. He's on the island of Patmos, and this is not a vacation for him. He is imprisoned, and so he is not chilling with a beverage in hand where it's five o'clock somewhere. No, he is imprisoned and he is spending the latter part of his life as a castaway, in a sense. And this is where John would write the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter one, it says, on a day that I was in the spirit, on the Lord's day, so he was in the spirit. In other words, this presence of God came upon him. 
He said, I heard a voice loud like a trumpet. And the voice came to me and said, hey, write these things down. And so he began to write and he began to write what he heard and what he saw. And as he heard that voice say, write these things down, he saw seven lampstands. And then amongst the seven lampstands, he saw a man walking that appeared to be the son of man. There was, there was fire in his eyes, the Bible says, blazing fire. His hair was white as snow. His feet were glowing a bronze like that of of feet that had been in a furnace. His mouth out of it was, his voice, the Bible says, sounded like rushing water. Out of his mouth was a double-edged sword representing the word of God. His face shining bright as the sun. And in his right hand were seven stars. And John, (laughs) he saw this, and just like you and I, if we were stranded on an island and we saw this, he fell down And the Bible says as if he was dead. I mean, this is what he saw. And the Bible says a compassionate touch of a right hand. He came down and pronounced himself in three different ways. It said, John, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who lived, who died, and who lives again. I am the one that holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so, John, I want you to write down the things in which you see, the things that are now and the things that will be. And he goes on to describe that the seven lampstands represented the churches and the seven stars represented angels. Many scholars believe it wasn't just angels, but the word messengers representing pastors, the pastors of the seven churches that he held in his hands. As a pastor, I love the fact that he is holding me in his right hand, that he is holding me in his hand of strength, that he is holding me in his hand of protection, that he is holding me in his hand of safety, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And then Jesus begins to show him some things. God begins to speak to him, and that was all Revelation chapter 1, okay? Revelation chapter 2 is where I want to camp out. And in Revelation chapter 2, it might seem a little confusing, but it's very practical, I think, when you hear what would take place in Revelation chapter 2. But what is happening, and let me just read the first verse to you. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, maybe the pastor you might read, to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write these things. Say, he who holds the seven stars, right, in his right hand and walks amongst the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Stop right there. And so he's about to give some messages. In essence, he's actually about to give a report card. He's about to give a report card of seven churches that in the end of chapter one, he says, write these things down in which I tell you about these seven churches. And he goes to Revelation chapter two. In the first few verses, we see the first church that he addresses. And he addresses the pastor 
of the church of Ephesus. And he says this about Ephesus, and I, I love it because he commends them. He says, he says in verse number two, I know your works, your labor, your patience. Man, I love that. I hope God could look down on me and say that about me. I hope he looks down on you and says that about you. Man, I know your works. I know your, 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 your labor. I know how hard you've been working for me. I know your patience. I love that you cannot bear those who are evil and you've tested those that say they are apostles and they are not. And you've found them to be liars. I mean, they're doctrinally pure. I mean, from a standpoint on the outside looking in, I mean, they're doing church the right way. Their works are right. Their work ethic is right. Their doctrine is right. And I mean, God is just commending them. It says you persevered again. You persevered and you have patience and you've labored for my name's sake. And by the way, you've done it all without becoming weary. And don't, don't go to verse two. They might already, yeah, don't, or don't go to the next verse. I wanna skip down to verse number seven before I read what's in between. In verse number seven, he says, he that has an ear, this is the very end of his letter. He that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit of saying to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The message version says, are your ears awake? Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. And so before I give you today what God would say to this church of Ephesus after commending them, I just want you, just like this letter ends today, to to have open ears. That your ears would be open, but more so your heart would be open to what the wind words, the breath of the Spirit might speak to you. Because what's happening in this moment is they're getting a report card. And my son just got his first report card recently. And as a parent, as a student, I hated report cards. Anybody hate report cards? I was a straight C average student, and so I hated a report card. It reminded me... We'll start a small group next semester. It reminded me of the things that I did good, but more so the things the teacher thought I was bad at. I didn't think I was bad at them, but apparently somebody thought I was bad at them. They talked about how it was just room for improvement. But how many of you know room for improvement means a butt whipping when you get home from a parent? And so I hated report cards, but now as a parent, I love them. I want to see, my, my son, he's in kindergarten. He already got his first report card, progress report. They gave him, you know, S's and N's, satisfaction and needs improvement. As a parent, it was so, it was so awesome to see all the S's, all the things in which Sam did good. And then at the very end of the report, they, they left like a couple of the N's, <laughs> you know. Like here's a few things that needs improvement. It was the perfect compliment sandwich because there was a few S's after that. And that's kind of what is about to take place here. This church in Revelation, they are about to get the perfect compliment sandwich, the perfect report card that says, hey, here are the things you're doing well. But in verse number four, it says this. 
after being complimented. I mean, I love the principle here, right? That Jesus would connect before he corrects. Today, it's the same way he moves. He connects with you before he corrects you. He doesn't want just to change you. He wants your heart. He wants you to know he loves you. And so today, if you're feeling some correction here in a minute, some cutting, please know it's only because he loves you and wants to heal you. And I love that you're able to connect with him in worship because in verse number four, it says, nevertheless, meaning despite all of that, I do have something against you. Man, that's the last thing I want to be said about me is God has something against me. But here we go. Nevertheless, you've done amazing things. You've been working hard. You've been advancing in many areas. Oh, you look great on the outside. But I do have this one thing that you can improve on. I do have this one area that's worth taking note on. There's a lot of things you're doing good. But can I just highlight one area? Nevertheless, I have one thing against you that you have left your first love. See, they've advanced in many areas, but they left their first, their first love. I, I think there's a big word here that was used that I think is so critical as you read this statement. And I want you to see this. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left, not lost, See, how many of you know there's a difference between leaving and losing? I can lose my keys. And I didn't mean to lose them. It was an accident. There are some things in your life that you lose that was an accident. You didn't mean to lose them, but you lost them. And I would propose when it comes to your relationship with God, many times we think we've lost our relationship with God, but really you've left it. Surgery's happening right now. You might think, I didn't mean for it to happen. It was an accident. No, the way you lived your life, you left it. It was a choice. And we all make choices every day. We make choices on who will be Lord of our life. Who will, I who will be my first love? What is a first love? A first love means a love that comes before all others. It's the greatest of all loves. It's a love that is greater than a love of ourselves. It's a love that is greater than just a love for our families and our friends and our hobbies and our jobs and all of those. It's a love for God. It's a love that says, because you loved me first, I can know how to love you. It's a love that recognizes that truly, as Billy said to me this morning, is a love that sees Jesus. What is your first love? Your first love is a glance at him. Because when you're looking at him, everything changes. And he said, hey, you've been doing really good. But you lost your first love. 
Oh, there was a time that you were quick to serve. There was a time you were quick to give. There was a time you were quick to forgive. There was a time you were quick to open up your word. There was a time you were quick to pray. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've lost your first love. Matthew 15, 8. This is the verse I heard in my heart the other night as I was praying for you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And don't hear that as a correction from a pastor. I'm just saying, would you open your heart? If that is for you, receive it. If you're in here and you look great on the outside, but your heart is far from him, May today not be condemning, but may it be healing. He doesn't cut you to hurt you. He cuts you to heal you. Today is not meant to be hurtful, but healing. It's meant to bring light to the opportunity. See, we've all been there. We've all had a love grow cold inside of us. We've all had moments where we once loved God a little more than we do right now. Maybe right now your love for God is the highest it's ever been. But let me tell you, there will be a day that it will grow cold and you'll have to reignite it. You'll have to return to it. You'll have to go back to it. I would say the only people that are in this room that maybe haven't lost their first love are the ones that just raised their hand five minutes ago because they haven't had to go out of the halls and deal with the world. (laughs) See, the world wants your attention. The world wants your love. He says, hey, you lost your, your first love, but let me tell you how to get it back. What a depressing message if I just said, you lost your first love, God hates you. Why? Figure it out. No, he says, hey, nevertheless, here's an area that you need to improve on, and here's how you get it back. And he says this, he says, remember, verse number five, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Three things if you're taking notes. I think the first thing that we can do to just recover our first love is to just remember. Just remember. It says, remember therefore where you have fallen. The first step in restoration for the Ephesian church was just to remember. They needed to remember where they had fallen. Thomas Godwin, the Puritan preacher, wrote a letter to his son saying this, When I was threatening to become cold in my ministry and when I felt Sabbath morning coming and my heart not filled with amazement at the grace of God, when I was making ready to dispense the Lord's Supper, do you know what I used to do? I used to take a turn up and down among the sins of my past. And I always came with a broken and a contrite heart after that, ready to preach. And it was preached in the beginning, forgiveness of sins. 
William Barclay said, we shall not lose the glow if we take this as our motto. I will not forget what he has done for me. Today, may you remember you were once blind, but now you see. You were once far from God, but now you're alive. May you remember the depths in which he brought you from. The first step in recovering or returning to your first love is just remembering all that he's done for you. Remember that broken life you had. Remember that life where you were depressed and anxious and stressed out all the time. Remember that God found you. Maybe he found you at a club. Maybe he found you at an altar. Maybe he found you on the side of the road or kneeling at your bed, but somewhere he found you. He found you and he put his hand on you. He touched you and he blessed you and made you fully alive. And one of the first steps in just returning, just just saying, God, I want to return to my first love. It's just remembering that. Remembering that he loves you, that he cares for you, that... That, that, that he's for you. He's, he loves you. And he said, remember from where you've fallen, but then repent. And repentance is not God wanting you to feel like a failure. I think sometimes we push away from that word because we think it's just God wanting to make me feel lousy like I'm a failure and I'm the scum of earth. It's not him wanting you to feel like a failure. It's meant to convict you, yes, but not to condemn you. The only person that wants to condemn you is the thief that came to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the one that brings condemnation. No, God might bring conviction, but he's not meant to, he's not meaning to condemn you. If you're feeling a call to repent, it's because he loves you. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to return to him. What is repentance? It's simply a change in mind. And a changed mind will always lead to a changed direction. It's a military term. It's a military term that just says, I was walking this way, realized it's the wrong way, and I stopped and made up in my mind. I'm turning And going the right way. Repentance is simply a changed mind that leads to a changed direction. I'd say, well, I've tried that before. Try it again. I repent daily. Most days I repent for the things that I didn't even know I was going to do that I might end up doing. And so I just say, God, forgive me in advance because I'm gonna mess up today. So I just repent. Why? Because I want a soft heart. I wanna be open always to God, just just knowing that, that I love you and I will not let there be a gap between what I think I wanna do and my way and your love. But I'll repent and I'll just, I'll just come back to you. And the last thing is return. He said, I want you to remember, I want you to return or repent, and then I want you to return or do the first works, he said. What does that mean? I think we've got to remember, we've got to repent, and then we've just got to return. Return to what? Return to your first works. If you're in here today and you've lost your first love, If you would say there was a time in my life that I was more on fire 
for God, then right now, you can return. Just like the prodigal. He ran from his father, and the minute he repented, came to his senses, turned around, went back. There was a party waiting on him. God is not mad at you today. But he's ready to throw a party with you. He's ready to to heal you. He's ready to change you. He's ready for you to feel his love again. He's ready to be in relationship with you. It's all he wants. And so return to your first works. See, there are some things that we have to learn to never grow beyond. Remember how you used to spend time in his word and return to it. Remember how you used to worship and spend time in his presence and return to it. Remember how you used to pray and return to it. Remember how you used to give and return to it. Remember how you used to go to church every weekend, return to it. Remember how you valued Christian relationships and small groups and return to it. Just do the things that you once did that kept you in the right, um, moving in the right direction that allowed you, or allowed him rather, to become and remain your first love. And so, remember he loves you. And what he did for you then, he's the same God, yesterday, today, and forever. He can do for you today. Just repent and return to him. And do the things that you used to do. Do the things, and if you didn't do them, just start them. Return to your works. Return to the things that... See, you know, Satan does a masterful job, I think, at creating a sense of of, of dissatisfaction with first works. I think he does a a masterful job of of trying to make us think that growth with Christ or about all these crazy... Growth with Christ, all these crazy, dumb stuff. That really is just simple. No, love them, spend time with them. Be in relationship with them. See, if I were to work out in the gym, and I'm closing. If I were to work out in the gym in my 30s and get big and buff and jack like Pat up here on the front row. And, and then once I got jack status, I just decided that I would be done with it because I, my muscles are built up and I'm cool. Guess what would happen at some point? I may look good on the outside, but on the inside, something called muscle atrophy begins to happen. And while I may have the impression on the outside that I'm big and buff and strong, on the inside, I am slowly dying. I am slowly, my muscles are slowly becoming weaker. I think the same thing happens sometimes in the spiritual. We get super excited, 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 excited. And then instead of just remaining consistent, we think we're good and we look good on the outside. We know how to talk the gym talk. We know how to walk the gym walk. We know how to talk the Jesus talk. We know how to walk the Jesus talk. But on the inside, our muscles are just slowly becoming weaker and weaker and weaker and they're atrophying. And Jesus is saying like, hey, in your weakness, I want to make you strong again. Just return to me. And he closes with this. He just says, or else. I know it's strong. I'm just, this is the Bible. Or else, I'll come quickly if you don't do this. 
and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. And this is super strong, but let me just help you understand what it means. He is saying, if you choose a life apart from me, the light that was once illuminating you will no longer illuminate you. Now, I will not leave you, but you will leave me. You actually choose to let the light go out. And Jesus is saying, if you don't return to me, the light in which you have, it's gonna go out. And how many of you know a a light bulb with no light is kind of useless? And so I don't want my light to go out. I want to shine. See, a church without no love is useless. We might as well just like be a country club. We might as well just, you know, whatever. See, we've got to remain in love with God because there is a dark world expecting to come into a light place. And so on a practical level, personally, this message matters for all of us. On a corporate level, it matters too because our goal is to be light to darkness. And so when people come in these doors, may it be a bright place because it is a room full of people in love with Jesus. And so, I just want to ask you a simple question today. And the question is this, are you burnt out? Are you burnt out? What do I mean, are you burnt out? You just let the light. Be over here. And if you're burnt out, just return to the light. Return to your first love. Let the light back in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears me and opens the door, I shall come in. Today, your first love is standing at the door knocking. The good news is you may have left him, but he never left you. You may have ran from him, but he's still standing there saying, will you let me back in? Will you let me back in? And if you do, I'll let my light back in. I'll let my love back in. I'll let my joy back in. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in here today, and you would say, you know what? I kind of lost my first love. I I didn't just lose it, but I kind of left it. I made some choices and here I am today and I I just don't feel fully alive. If that's you today, can I just encourage you? Will you just return to him? He's there waiting for you. 
Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.